0: On Episode 92 of the Insure Tech Geek Podcast, talking about analytics and intelligence with Leandro Dalemule from Plank. The Insure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific tech we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. And we are here with our guest, Leandro. How is it going? Leandro, you're joining us from Connecticut today, I hear. Yeah,
1: James. Everything's going fine. Still summer, as you know, though you're a little bit, uh, you know, in a, I, th- I guess, nicer weather than here. We've got like the 90, 90 degrees again today.
0: Surprisingly, yes, it is nicer weather in Michigan than in it's Connecticut. Weird. <laughs> Give me another month. <laughs> I think we're I think we're at a similar latitude, yeah, but weird. somehow I'm yeah, getting better yeah. stuff because it's seventy-five and sunny today. No, it's all good. Um, you know, I can't
1: complain. It's gonna get cold pretty quickly, so
0: yeah. So you're you're near the city, huh?
1: Yeah. Well that's the reason, right? I strategically positioned, bought the, the house near the city because I've been working financial services since I can't remember, and my last job at AIG required me to commute every single day. Wow. So it was about an hour and forty-five uh each way of course uh, which i do not miss that's a hike it's a hike man and i do not miss right because all the way to water street where aig was based and then back every single day you know there's only so much you can train train. yeah You got a train got a subway we had you know that little bit of walk it was it was a hike really so i did it for many many years right before aig i did it for Citibank and BlackRock and deloitte and and the list goes on and on. So
0: I feel like those days are, I don't, I don't want to say permanently over, but they feel like they're over. I think they're over, right?
1: I think they're over. I look at the parking lot in my town. We used to be like a, a very hot commodity. I remember, right? Because I never got a permanent spot because you had to go in line and it will take you five years, you know, if you're lucky and you get to pay a premium, of course, and yada, yada, yada. And now it's half empty, right? So <laughs> I guess that that commodity, the hot commodity, whoever could, you know, sell it, should have sold it before COVID. And now, you know, it's just like old times, Um, you know, you used to buy a telephone line. You know, I think you're you're not that young, right, James. So, you know, you used to, you know, you're 43. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm 49. So it's like, yeah. So you, you probably remember that you buy the line, right? You, yeah. It's, it's an asset, right? I, I own that number. It was the same thing for the parking lot. And now it's all gone.
0: Crazy. Yeah. Well, let's, we're going to talk about AI and Plank and, all that stuff in a second, but before we do, I want to talk about you. I Want to talk about your background? You're Brazilian, although Italian family in Brazil. Uh, I employ a lot of people in Argentina. I have a lot of Italians in Argentina. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot I guess. And uh, I just actually went to France in the beginning of June, and I noticed how much France and Paris reminded me of Buenos Aires. So you know what most Americans. US, U.S. Americans, by the way, my Argentinian Argentinians, of course, get offended by everything, right? Argentinians are are very, you know, yeah. I love I love my Argentinians, but they get really been out of shape when fashion. I say Americans. I have to say U.S. Americans because they consider themselves Americans as well. Yeah, I heard that. Um, they're, um. they're South Americans. <laughs> You know, France and Italy had a huge outsized influence on Brazil and and Argentina. So your Italian family, born and raised in Brazil, you got a mechanical engineering degree there from uh, Sao Paulo University. Yep. And uh, then you went on to, looks like you went to Chicago. I did. uh, Just across the lake from me for your MBA.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, It was back in 2001. How did you do with the Chicago winners?
1: It wasn't easy at the beginning, to be honest. I will never forget, man, Um, you know, we, we, my wife and I actually, we both got, you know, we moved over uh, Northwestern, right? We got our master's um, at Kellogg and and I remember the first winter, uh, I will never forget this, the heater in the bathroom in the apartment we're living in, it was immediately um, right below the window. And yet when we we stayed like maybe a week out and we left the the apartment closed, when we came back, I remember there was like a, a thick ice cover inside right with the heater on so i'm like oh my god you know imagine how cold it was outside when we were here like it's, how is that even possible right but i got got used to it right
0: yeah that's that's uh
1: now i have more problems with the heat
0: than with the cold so yeah that's 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 pretty uh that's pretty cold uh, so, so you you adjusted from the the hot and humid of Brazil to the cold winters of Chicago. You went to Harvard for a graduate certificate. You you got a master's at Columbia and math in City University of New York. Yeah. So so you you you've you definitely have educated yourself, but you've also worked. You've also worked in a broad array um, of companies. You worked in, the, I, would, I would almost call it the national industry of Brazil, the petroleum <laughs> petroleum industry. Mm-hmm. You did a pretty long stint in oil and gas, didn't you?
1: I did. I did. It was my first job out of college. Um, it's funny because in, in, even though engineering, right? It's a five-year full-time commitment in Brazil, different than the U.S., right? You don't major in mechanical engineering. You end up, you know, after five years full-time, you don't have an opportunity to learn anything else but engineering and mechanical engineering. So, but I never got a job in mechanical engineering because at the very start, when I was interviewing for ExxonMobil, they thought that was a much better salesman than an engineer. So they put me in the sort of to talk to the sales folks. And so that's where my career took off in marketing and sales instead of engineering. But I did spend my first five years or so out of college with Axon, which was a great school. I mean, to be honest, in hindsight, I remember knowing nothing about management. Um, you know, my 21, 22-year-old kid. and And I'm like, oh, they're doing this wrong. They're doing that wrong. And if I look at now, tremendous company, right? It's amazing. No wonder they have been around for hundreds of years nearly, um, right? And, uh, and, and and it was a great school, right? So, but I didn't want to change, right? So going back again, 22 years ago, I said, okay, if I want to get out of marketing or, you know, just expand my, my knowledge and then get out eventually of the oil and gas industry, how do I do it, right? Uh, so an MBA was the the door to open sort of, you know, new doors. And that's why we decided to come, come over and,
0: and that the rest
1: is sort of history.
0: That makes sense. Total sense. So you worked over in GE Capital and uh, consumer finance. You got into yeah. risk management. I'm guessing it looks like GE is really where you had your first taste of insurance and risk management. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and going beyond that, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of laughing. Because if you look at the the years that I work at GE, there was something that also happened there. Uh, my last role there was a global mortgage risk manager <laughs> around <laughs> 2004, five, 6. So you remember
0: what happened back then—the superheated run-up of the global of, of the U.S. Yeah. mortgage industry that completely collapsed in two thousand seven and eight. Exactly, and not just
1: the U.S. I mean, it was a global mortgage. The GE back then had a, about a forty billion dollar. Mortgage um, book of business, which by the way was not, it was actually kept in the balance sheet because it was GE, right? The good old might GE could keep $40 billion of mortgage um, paper on the balance sheet. And yeah, back then it was a great idea. I was actually, I spent nearly one year in Italy s- setting up uh, a GE bank there. Uh, it was uh, my first, say, I guess, startup uh, feeling, although backed by GE, right? It was the CEO and myself, and I was playing many. Many roles, risk, finance, operations, everything. And guess what, right? Back in 2004, what we're going to sell in Italy. Um,
0: how about subprime mortgages? Why not? That sounds like a
1: great idea, right?
0: Why don't we fractionalize subprime mortgages, split them up, and then pretend that by splitting them up, we actually reduce the risk?
1: The risk is gone. I know. What a what a brilliant idea!
0: So if we take if we take if we take a hundred thousand mortgages and we fractionalize all of them, and then we blend them all together in a giant financial blender, and then uh, and then and then we slice them up into these <laughs> debt obligations, people are going to buy it then the credit quality of the bl- of the blended drink is somehow better than the credit quality of all the underlying <laughs> assets. Of course.
1: And they're completely uncorrelated, by the way. So if house prices fluctuate, nothing is going to happen to that paper. So yeah, uh, so we did that. Um, actually, that bank that we built in, in Italy got acquired by Deutsche Bank, I remember, a couple of years before the recession. Um, but then you fast forward this to 2006... When I finally said, guys, this thing's going to blow up, <laughs> so I left, right? I was a, maybe one year ahead of, uh, of that curve, but eventually it did blow up, as we all know. Um, Incentives were completely misaligned, let's put it this way. So uh, whatever is left of GE today, I mean, part of it, unfortunately, right? It's, it's such a great company. It's due to what happened there, right? And, and the amount of risk that they took both in GE consumer as well in GE commercial, Finance, right? Both of them, consumer finance, commercial finance, were leveraged at the point where, I mean, mortgage, right? Without getting to the specifics of finance, but, uh, you know, they were leveraged like 100 to 1. It's secure, right? There's a house behind it. So no risk. House prices will never go down. And I heard that. And I'm like, uh, I think they're going down. And, and I remember like, they start falling like, you know, like a domino. And, and the first one I remember, uh, it was Australia where we had very too large some mortgage companies, I mean, gee, uh, and then the second one was the UK, and then it was just a matter of time until the US collapsed, and the US was like the third big one. So,
0: yeah, mm. interesting times. Yeah, it's uh, it is interesting times, very interesting times. So, and and, and we're repeating it right now, by the <laughs> way, it's amazing, it's human nature, human nature, and we won't learn, right? We're doing it all again, <laughs> right. it's real again. There are people getting interest only mortgages right now, and there are people that because the rates are up they're moving to they're moving to 5 year ARMs adjustable mm-hmm. rate mortgages yeah. because they want the lower rate for 5 years which means that 5 years from now we're going to have a really bad situation i know, <laughs> I know. it is amazing and and if i and it's funny thing is especially if you look at going back
1: there i remember my last period with the, with GE when the market was drying uh, and we couldn't sell those mortgages right through Lehman Brothers or to other investment mm-hmm. banks We found uh, a great solution, which was um, we're going to create this mortgage insurance and uh, the provider or we're going to get mortgage insurance and the provider of mortgage insurance back then was AIG. (laughs) So I remember dealing with AIG and then, you know, fast forward 10 years later, I was working for AIG. And then when everything collapsed, you remember the TARP? I think it was $700 billion. Yeah.
0: Right. Most of it went to AIG.
1: (laughs) Most went to AIG and who managed the you know, TARP for AIG and Citibank? BlackRock. So if you look at my resume, you wonder, you know, how can I be involved with all the companies that were part <laughs> of that? I mean, because, you know, it started with GE and then we got from AIG. I worked for AIG and then Citibank collapsed and worked for Citi and then BlackRock managed everything. Actually, when I joined BlackRock, AIG had just paid um, you know, off everything that they, yeah. they got back, right? With the Bob well, they Mache. paid off the
0: TARP plus, plus, plus. They paid all the interest, too. So that- yeah, according
1: to Bob Moshe, he reminded everybody of
0: it, yeah. that he didn't get even a thank you from the president. <laughs> yeah, even though he, he even though he would have defaulted without it, but that's okay. Yeah, it was Bob Benmoshe. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I remember all that. <laughs> what a camp. So you you've been in the middle of a whole bunch of interesting transactions. Yeah, you, you've seen a yeah. lot of things that evolve with data analytics, with risk management, with just the financial services business in general. Mm-hmm. And there, you know there's a, of course a huge blend between um, you know loan companies and insurance companies because. Insurance companies provide insurance on loan defaults, which you, you just mentioned. So there's yeah, the two industries are inextricably intertwined. Yeah. Um, your first, it looks like your first insurance position really was when it came to, to AIG, because that's when you started jumping into being a chief data officer for commercial insurance. What was the leap to, to really being dedicated to insurance? Because up until that point, you'd had a, I would call it a, an ancillary or tangential relationship with insurance and risk. That is right. What made you want to jump in right. directly for working for one of the largest insurance companies in, in the country? Yeah,
1: I had, what is not very clear is I did have a lot of insurance experience when I I was working with Deloitte. Yeah. Because Deloitte, uh, it goes back to your question about analytics, how it all started, right? I mean it wasn't even called analytics or AI, right? We didn't have a name for it, right? When we when I was at Deloitte, actually what we what had has become actually Deloitte Analytics today, which is a whole practice with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. It was born out of the actuary practice, so, which was obviously insurance. So it's interesting that today what it's called Deloitte Analytics and they supply analytics solutions, you know, consulting across industries, it started with insurance, right? And I was there in Hartford which was one of the places I was, I was based when I was working for Deloitte. And that's when I got to, you know, get to know the actuaries uh, and get to know the actuarial science. I'm not an actuary. I could not get that far, uh, even if I wanted to, I guess. But I familiarized myself with it. And then, of course, in the data science became a thing, um, right? And, uh, and that's sort of how it evolved. But you're right. So th- there was a lot of that period that, um, that I had within Deloitte that it was primarily focused on insurance. And then there was a, you know, Citibank, uh, which was analytics, a lot of loans and, you know, uh, cards, mortgage, um, and other kinds of analytics, very interesting analytics. But you're correct. When I transitioned to AIG, it was really 100% insurance data, right, as chief data officer initially for the property and casualty um, uh, group, AIG back then was split into two big groups globally, PNC and life and retirement. Right? So I was leading the data efforts, which was brand new right? We're just creating that whole function from zero. So up to that point, um, AIG did not have any chief data officer. Heather Wilson was the global chief data officer. I was reporting to her with PNC responsibilities, data responsibilities, and another colleague of mine, Tom Orton, was the life and retirement. So that's how we struggled. And we had to build it from ground up.
0: So let's talk about that job title. That was interesting. Yeah. You could make CDO mean anything. So what, what does a chief data officer do every day? Absolutely. Big picture task, but then like on a daily basis, what do they actually yeah. do?
1: Yeah, yeah. And by the way, it can report to anybody too. That was, still, I still think there is no clear structure where a CDO should sit. I still believe that it depends on every organization, every industry. But what do, from my point of view... And what I did, it was, uh, we were focused on, on sort of the sub areas of the da- data management, let's put it this way, right? So it was not building models to some extent, right? It's not a sexy part. It's plumbing. That's how I always characterized it. Uh, you know, it's not about fancy dashboards or very cool predictive models. It's about plumbing. And plumbing, I mean, uh, we, could, we would slice, right? They'll work. And the organization, to some extent, will mimic that into data governance. Who owns the data? Somebody needs to be responsible for the data. I wasn't. I want the business to be. Right? Because the reason is I'm the custodian of that data. But the business needs to, the PL owner of a line of business, let's say commercial auto, right? he needs to own those data elements. Right? So governance is important. Quality is another element. Right. So data quality. How can we measure data quality? How can we improve data quality? So that was the other pillar, right? The third pillar, um, especially in the case of AIG, was uh, um, sort of data accessibility. How can I make it and control, right? Control in a controlled environment. Because you do have PII, you do have sensitive data, you do have claims data, which is extremely sensitive, as you know. So how do you control access to that data and yet make it available for consumption, Right. Um, so if you think about it, those are like the three, in my mind, the three big pillars, right? So if I make data available in a controlled environment, I have this governed, right, from a definition perspective. So I'm always speaking the same language. What is a claim, right? That's one that, by the way, simple question, right? Took us more than six months to answer. When does it a, a claim start? How do we agree on some of the definitions of very basic data uh, elements that's governed? And then the third one is, okay, Data is not good. The quality of the data is not good. What are we going to do about it? Right? How are we going to measure this? Um, how are we going to make that data with such a quality that it can be consumed and it can be trusted? So those are like, that was the day job,
0: really. That's uh, an excellent definition. Thank you for diving into the, to the, to the minutiae, because I think a lot of companies look at that position and go, well, I'm not big enough for a chief data officer. I would argue that a CDO or maybe a vice president of data, if you don't want to call it a chief yeah, um, that needs to be established fairly early on. I mean, you're talking about hundred million dollar organizations need to have them. You know, this is not a multi billion dollar problem. This is a this is at a much smaller level because of the the importance of securing your data, making it available and accessible connecting it to everybody else and governing who can, rule, who can, who can read and write from it. These these are really, really considering insurance is literally a data business. I mean, it's not a, yeah, I, it, I, I respect that relationships drive else. a lot of decisions and, and ultimately the, the industry takes risks. All of that is based on data. There is no physical product of insurance. There, there is none. Correct. So, so data is the product, you know, whether it's data that's wrapped up in a policy in a contract or whether, you know, all of all of that is 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 the only end product that we have in this industry, and so I think that's um, that's something that's really important. Data standards mm-hmm. are wonderful when they exist. I was recently, in the last several months, made light of uh, are, are are made aware of the Object Management Group OMG Property and Casualty Data Model, which was established in November of 2014, and one of the things that was really so impactful and I was kicking myself for not knowing about this earlier because I could have used this a long time ago. The the contributors on this was Ace Insurance, Cindy Mike Associates, CSC, CTS, Gail Austin, Garza Data, Harleysville Insurance Group, IBM Corporation, Liquid Hub, Mark Gorman Associates, Object Management Group, Penn National Insurance, TCS, and 21st Century Insurance all collaborated to put together a 48-page description let me see how many pages this is of a data model for pnc insurance Mm -hmm. and uh, no way more than 48 pages good lord yeah 174 pages of of common business terms just agreeing on what the terms are exactly and it's extremely difficult yeah it's extremely difficult so the terms alone then agreeing on field names then agreeing on Data models. I mean, if y'all haven't read this, it's the OMG, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, which, of course, I just say stands for, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I didn't read this before. PNC data model. They did a ton of work on this, and it really helps understand how the plumbing is connected, um, at least at these organizations. You're right. So let's go beyond this you spend a good bit of time organizing data. What was the biggest challenge? Was it the fact that you had to like interconnect 35 legacy mainframe systems? And I wish it were just 35, <laughs> maybe, maybe 35 for one line of business. I mean, in the thousands. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. We, so ton, tons, of databases, tons of systems.
1: Uh, I'll give an idea, right. Of the magnitude of the beast. It's a house of cards, right? If you look at, uh, yeah, the the sort of the data flows, not the architecture, but the data flow that we actually built. It took us a couple of years to build it. It's just mind-boggling, right? But it's this big house of cards. If you think about it, um, it's like KIG, over 100 years old company. Acquisitions, acquisitions, acquisitions. There was a lot of times um, during a long period of time that it was a great idea to, instead of buy something, I'm going to build something, right? Build versus buy it's not even a topic. We're going to build everything because we can, um, which is maybe was the right decision at the time. I wasn't there. The point is, fast forward is to you know recent years, you have this house of cards and all the systems are super integrated to each other. They're fairly old. And by old, I mean, okay, without being very specific in which systems were built in assembler. For those who know what assembler is, I know you do. Yeah, me too. Right? Uh, I actually took an assembler course.
0: Uh, I did as well. It was it was mind numbing. <laughs> I don't know why. I,
1: I don't know why I did it. I know
0: I did it many, 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 many years ago. Me too. In the '90s, when I did, I was like, "Can I please go back to writing an object oriented code, <laughs> please?" <laughs> I
1: don't know. It was like I think I'm going to learn this machine, right? How the machines speak. And but yeah. So fast forward to recent. I mean, I don't know today, right? I left AIG a few years ago, but yeah, they're still built in Assembler. Try to come up with a drop-down button in Assembler. You can't. Try to add another data field. You can't. Or COBOL. COBOL is still very common, right? So you have this very complex system of integrated old things. And how do you solve for that, right? You had the tech that keeps consuming and you know most of your IT resources, money, and people. Um, so, and that, that is one of the barriers for uh, investing in new technology, right? Because, you know, there's only so much money you can, you have to keep them alive, right? The systems, otherwise you don't have a business. Um, so a lot of the money goes there. Um, a lot of the efforts go there. And it's very hard to improve the whole system without breaking many eggs, right? In the process. It has to be done, right? Because otherwise, you know, the, 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 the reality is COBOL, even COBOL, right? When we try to retire 2,000 COBOL programs. We eventually did it, but we had to go back and hire people who he retired. Yeah. But they were the only people who wrote that because everything is compiled. So we were like, oh, my God. And, and they actually came back and we did
0: it. Probably no system documentation. Probably no. I mean, no, zero. It's all in their hands. No test plans. I mean,
1: yeah. And they charge 600 bucks an hour because they could. And honestly, I would if I if were in their position, right? So it's like, sure. That being said, right, there are new technologies that are helping us to to get there, right, to overcome that uh, that big barrier, which is this old systems built over nearly a hundred years.
0: Well, let's let's jump to the current thing and spend our last fifteen minutes here talking about the present, because we've talked about what a chief data officer is and what some of the challenges in plumbing data in large insurance corporations. By the way, this is why it takes so long to add states and lines and to modify. Lines of business. Reason number one is, yeah. Yeah. is, you know, a huge patchwork of legacy systems that still work and function really well and contain all the business logic of that particular line of business and all the nuance to the contracts that that company covers. So yeah. let's talk about Plank. 2018, you leave AIG and go over to be general manager of North America at Plank. What does Plank do and why did you go over to it? I answered
1: why I came over first because it's related to what we do and then I'll go to what we do in detail. But I came over for a couple of reasons. One, the person who like say recruit me uh, is one of our uh, co-founders, David Shapiro. He used to be, um, before he retired, uh, the CEO for Ernix, And we worked together back at Deloitte. So we go back 15 years plus. So that's sort of how it, it all started. I also met when I was at AIG. I met with our founder and CEO, Elad. Right. He came to my office to talk about Plank, Plank Resolution back then in 2017. So I already knew about the company, right? And I knew what the, what the, the technology that they were building was supposed to do. But that was back in 2017. Fast forward to 2018, they invite me um, if, I could, if I would like to join the company. And uh, I did my due diligence, my first startup. I've been working in these huge you know, companies before. And then I have a quick funny story later about this, but... But I said, okay, i got to check, right? I mean, I'm going from 200,000 people, and my team alone at AIG was over 1,000 people, right, <laughs> in, in data management, to how many again, <laughs> right? And so I had to do my own due diligence. They did theirs, uh, and we, we kind of a uh, man in the middle, I guess. Uh, and, and again, the big reason really is the technology that we built and we continue to build. Uh, we will allow carriers to leapfrog not just carriers, right? I mean, MGAs and you know, overall insurance uh, players leapfrog this. You know, years of uh, being behind in terms of data and insight and intelligence. Let's call it this way, right? We're calling ourselves a cognitive business analytics platform, which is a big long name, right? Because it's more than AI, right? It's, it's a mouthful. Is a mouthful? We we took us a while to come up with it. Uh, short short is CBA, but um, the idea is really, how can I tap into this vast um, wealth of data that is out there and keeps growing exponentially, we all know, right, on the web? How can I tap into that and mine it to get insights that can help business? In, the, in our case, commercial insurance, to be very specific. For example, we, we are not a data aggregator. That would be too easy, right? We're not collecting data from multiple sources and putting them together. We we'll like to say, and this is a lot's analogy that I really like, is like we like to create, it's not about finding the needle in a haystack, it's about creating gold a lot of, from hay. Yeah. So we'll get a lot of that data, right? Sometimes it's the same data point. So it's let's say hours of operation of a business. So sometimes we're gonna find that data everywhere. Um, but there are other, in, you know, other insights that we can generate like the percentage of liquor receipts in a bar. There's no source that I can tap into that it's going to give me that. But if I have enough data about that bar out there on the web, I can then train models. And then going back to AI, machine learning, right, all these cool names, I will train the models right, to estimate fairly accurately what is the percentage, you know, uh, of liquor receipt in that restaurant, right? In that, uh, you know, bar should be close to 100%. But. So if it is a restaurant, right, it's, as you know, it's super important for rating. So you want to know if it's above 35%, it's above 50%, maybe it's a bar, it's not a restaurant, right? But that data point is nowhere to be found, right? Unless I get access to the financials of that restaurant, which I won't. But it can be generated. And I think this is really where we shine is that ability to tap into everything real time, right? Bring it in, digest, because the models are trained and keep being retrained as we get more and more feedback from our customers and our own training, right? So the models improve because they learn and we're able to produce even better, faster results uh, to give those insights, right? To give that intelligence to the carriers, the MGAs, to the reinsurers, um, so they can make better business decisions. In the underwriting, pricing, lead generation, we've been expanding our our offerings now, uh, but based on the same sort of core technology.
0: So, what's the number one problem people are asking to solve? Is it better reserve setting? Is it better analytics around analyzing a claim and and uh, you know recommending treatments? Is it? Uh, I mean, wh- wh- where's we, we've I've seen a lot of really great applications of data. Yeah. In insurance, I mean, what what are the what are the the top applications you're seeing people trying to to deliver?
1: I mean, the top is really today is around pricing, right? So how can I, uh, which is something it wasn't the top. The top, I'll say, two years ago, it was more like I have a digital portal, I need to prefill this data very quickly because what's the point, right? If I'm going from paper to yeah, portal,
0: that's like meat and potatoes automation, yeah,
1: it is, right? But yet, very difficult to get all the data and prefill it within seconds. That was really. But I, we've seen that um, that has evolved with our customers and even generally uh, in the market. Now we feel that um, pricing and the ability to know more than my competitor has become more interesting. Let me elaborate a little bit on it. For instance, let's say that I have all these insights, right? 150 insights about a restaurant. Today, how is pricing done for that, uh, I mean, quote, right? A quote is generated based on, a handful, right? Yeah. If it's workers' comp, it's the usual suspect. It is going to be uh, number of employees, payroll, revenue, the class that you're, you're in, and maybe location. Okay. Those five will probably determine the vast majority of your rate. How about now if I have access to all this different information? For example, how about if I know that, or I would like to test, and then, as a matter of fact, we know that for a fact now. That the quality of the management of that business has, the higher the quality, right, the lower the probability for workers' comp claims. Well, well now I have that correlation, very strong. If I'm going to, if I'm going to be able to file uh, you know, uh, another rate with the 50 you know, state regulators, that's a different story. But at the very least, I can include that in my underwriting criteria. I, at very least I can under you know I can determine my, my risk appetite knowing more than just you know payroll and my employees revenue class location right that's where we see the most interest now um, it was something that to be honest James um, the, our, even our customers and carriers were very reluctant to share their loss data with us to share their claims activity data with us historically speaking because they're like no this is my you know my proprietary but now they are.
0: They probably didn't want to risk that it it might go to somebody else or help somebody else make better decisions, right? Correct.
1: But now they're sharing it or they're, or we're providing the insights, vice versa, right? And they're doing the analysis themselves. But we have now this both way going and we see that. And I believe that this is where the big, you know, bucks are. Uh, There are also improvements. We talk about the portal pre-filling. There's also operational improvements, Uh, In expense ratios, such as, hey, your underwriter takes three hours um, after he gets a submission, right, an application because he got to check everything and eventually even pick up the phone and call the agent or call the business owner directly. Uh, It takes three hours. You know what? Automate everything with us. This can be done in 10 minutes, right? So it adds up. Right, if
0: you have, Are you comboing robotic process automation with the analytics suite? Not so much robotic
1: um, process, but um, what we do is we integrate an API to, for for example, a uh, an underwriting portal of a, a few of our customers, right? and they will get flags. We can, it's highly configurable, so hey, I would like to have, get flags in certain attributes that either will trigger uh, automatic decline or will trigger a further evaluation right? So the other writers are now, and you step, you know, one step above that, you start prioritizing all the submissions that you're getting in terms of, you know, how much work you have to put into them, right? So it's, it's not so much about automating everything in the process, but it's providing more data, more insights very quickly, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in what's the end game? What's the data end game? Are we, are we trying to automate, automate premiums? I mean, what, what what are we what are we trying to do? Automated underwriting? Uh, are we are we trying to automatically set reserves and you know auto adjudication of claims? I mean. What do you what do you think in state is? Are we gonna are we gonna remove people from the equation and and uh, get get data models and machine learning models so intelligent that they can make all of these risk decisions? I mean, where where does it stop? Where does it end? What's the what's the in state?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna get all the way there in commercial. I'm talking about commercial lines. Yeah, right. Personal lines different story. Frequency is so you know so high versus severity that you know allows us to get there where we are today. Right. You can go yep. online. You can do everything. Get a quote. You do almost everything without a human. Um, I think commercial and and the bigger, right, as you go from SME micro business to small to medium to, you know, it becomes, as you know, more and more complex, therefore requiring more and more human intervention. What we see is we make our customers, or let's say the underwriter in this case, superheroes. Actually, we have that internal definition ourselves, right? We have a is Superman picture, and we use it all the time because our goal is not for us to be superheroes. We want to make our customers superheroes. We want to make our the underwriter be a superhero in terms of how can I leverage a platform to like augment my capabilities, right? Ultimately, they're still going to make decisions, but they're going to make much wiser decisions because they have these superpowers, right? That we are giving them through analytics, through AI, right, to the ability to, you know, tap into thousands of different sources within seconds, right? That's my take. Um, I mean, the the, you know, the superhero is, is Planck's um, philosophy, but my take is it will never get all the way to fully, fully automated as you get, you know, bigger, larger businesses, uh, because it's just the complexities of a workers' comp policy, a property policy, you know, a bot, you know, um, will still require, you know, humans. Now you have the whole additional layer of, Especially in the US, uh, of the agents, right, independent agents, the captive agents, right, and how distribution is it works in commercial lines, and that's a very hard model to break, as we've seen, Um, and that's another sort of a let's say complication to that uh, fully automated, uh, you know, future mindset, but okay, definitely more automated, and definitely getting these guys to. Having the superpowers to do their job much, much, much better, more efficiently.
0: So, I have a challenge question for you. Yeah. Why would a company use a, a system like Plank instead of building their own analytics suite with Power BI and all of the tools and, 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 or, or Tableau or name any analytics suite, right? Mm-hmm. Why, would they, why would they use a custom built insurance analytics suite? You're not calling yourself BI, so that's fine.
1: Yeah, no BI, no, no, yeah, we can't compare ourselves to Tableau or Power BI.
0: But you could, you could use Power Apps, Power BI. You could use, you could use that whole suite and try and hack your way into building something like Plank. So, yeah, what benefit do you think you'll bring to the table versus what's going on in a lot of insurance organizations right now? Is a mm-hmm. whole lot of home built, homegrown analytics uh, efforts that are being driven through the Power Suite in Microsoft. Yeah. The different animals right That's just as you know
1: but um, generally speaking right why wouldn't somebody build a plank right uh, our our cognitive business <laughs> analytics platform um a couple reasons one we've been doing this for five years now so we have a few hundred insights in many different classes right restaurants contractors auto services Healthcare, the list goes on and on. We have specific insights for workers' comp. We have specific insights for property. We have specific insights. So that's one, right? We've been doing this for a living and the only thing we do for five years. So we've built that critical mass already. That's one. The second thing is our models that are at a point now that they are learning with the feedback that we get from our customers, which exponentially improves our accuracy, yep. right? Our coverage, as we call it, hit rate. So again, very hard to get there. There were a couple of not our they were prospects, and I and I was in the sales process with them a few years ago, large insurance companies, not surprising, that said, This is great. They ran a proof of concept with us and said, We're gonna do this ourselves. So, okay, good luck. Look, okay. guys this is not what you do, right? You do insurance, you sell insurance. But if you want to create a, an AI platform, go for it. A year later, of course, I checked on both of them and they haven't gone anywhere, yeah. right? Because this is how it is, right? they have all the priorities and they do have a small data science team that is doing other things.
0: Building things yeah. is hard.
1: <laughs> Building things is very hard. And this is, again, the only thing we do, right? Um, so you have that and we got into this feedback loop that allows us to exponentially improve the models and, you know, without much effort. And then, which let us give us time and effort to actually build more models to other classes. Um, so at this point, you know, um, yeah, could uh, a very, very large insurance company. Like my former employer actually decided to do it and put a lot of resources. Do they have the money? Yeah. But it's going to take them so long that I doubt that uh, that process is going to come to fruition, you know?
0: Yeah. Awesome. Executives will never have the patience. So, well, thank you for uh, where, where, do people, where do people go to find out more information about Plank? Plankdata.com. Very easy. P L A N C K data. P-L-A-C-K, like Max Planck. Yes, plankdata.com The Nobel Prize winner. Yeah, and if you're in Connect I Cut or New York, can people come hang out with you? Oh, Of course, anytime, yeah. What's the Brazilian drink that I always get at my Brazilian? Caipirinha. Caipirinha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It has to be that.
1: That's the only one. We only have one. It's the only one. We only have one. I'm always right. That
0: one. I've had many of those. It's like an Argentina you get for an Right. Yeah. Just one. And it's funny, the, the Italians so heavily influenced the drinks too. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fernet is an Italian after-dinner drink, but they make more of it in Argentina. So, you know, they drink it by the gallon in Argentina, yeah, man. I know. Well, you know that, right? Next time you meet your team
1: there, um, you know this probably already, but they consider themselves not just Americans. They consider themselves Europeans more than oh yeah South Americans. Oh, yes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That caused a lot of problems with every other country, <laughs> including my my country, because they're like, "No, guys, you're not Europeans. We're all South Americans." Like, "No, we're more Europeans than you than you guys." And it's true, by the way. But
0: <laughs> it's it's a it's a very complicated culture, one that I happen to love. But it's also uh, you can have a lot of fun with them. Yeah, oh yeah, never ending sources of entertainment. <laughs> Leandro, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. It was a good conversation, and I always love talking about data and how we're using it, organizing it, structuring it, and getting better as an industry because of it. So, uh, Leandro, thanks for joining today. Thank
1: you very much, James. It was a pleasure.
0: And thank you out there in listener land to tuning in today to Geek Out Episode 92, our interview with Leandro Mule from Plank. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast, uh, powered by JB Knowledge. That's jbknowledge.com. It's all about transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenley, our podcast producer, Kara dalton Alro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.